Welcome to the Winback Marketing Podcast. There's gold buried in your lost customers. And in this podcast, you'll learn how sales and marketing leaders mine that gold using Winback Marketing. This week, I'm talking with Carl Adamson, the award-winning director of Agile Consultancy, Agilistics. In this episode, Carl shares the fascinating story of how he was given six quote-unquote debt accounts, won the first one back at six times the average sales volume, and got severely reprimanded for his success. It's a fascinating look at company culture, the quote, this is how we do things here, unquote, syndrome, and win back. Carl, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Dan. Before we get into Winback, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. I help organizations to deliver value to their customers sooner than they would normally do and in a sustainable fashion using something called Lean Agile. And you've got the coolest yacht in Britain. You call it motor yacht. What do you call that boat? I'll put a picture in the, in the show notes. Sure. It's a, it's a Mediterranean sports motor cruiser. And it's called Kaizen Voyager. And what we do if we run leadership training courses on board, it's moored at St. Catherine Docks Marina in central London, right next door to Tower Bridge and the Tower of London. And the reason that we call the boat Kaizen Voyager is because Kaizen comes from Japanese word for continuous improvement. Everything we do in the agile world, it's about continually improving ourselves in order to deliver value for others and voyage because it's a voyage of discovery. Can you share one of your favorite stories about winning back a lost customer? Well, so this is going back to the very beginning of my career. But straight out of college, I, I had a job as a food buyer for an international food broker. And we used to buy all kinds of tin products from all, all over Europe bring them into the UK and sell them to big supermarket chains and small wholesalers as well. And I was bored with my job at the time. I always saw that the sales team, they all had the flash company calls and they were doing things, going to the events and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted a slice of their action. And I kept badgering my boss to let me have some old customers that I could talk to just to see if it might keep my thing or not, Sally. And eventually they gave it. And they allowed me to, they went through a Rolodex of cards and they took out half a dozen customers they hadn't spoken to in, I don't know how long, but they said, these are all dead. You can't do anything. You can't do anything with these. You might as well, you're not going to do any damage. Have a go. And so what I did, I went and made appointments to go and have a meeting with the people and just talked to them. I didn't know how it was going to go because I'd never done it before. And I found that by engaging with these customers, they, they eventually warned to tell me, we don't really know why we stopped working with you. We don't, we lost touch and none of your sales team bothered to contact us. So we've been buying elsewhere. What are you doing? Eventually, cut from long story short, I was able to cut a deal with a wholesaler for 20 containers of tomatoes, which is one of the things, canned tomatoes were one of the products that we sold. And to give you an idea, a typically good order, an average order would have been three containers that sales team members were getting. Very good order would be something like six to 10 containers. That's a long product, but I managed to take this only for 20. Now I had a bit of insight because I knew what the costs were because I was the buyer. I was dealing with the manufacturers in Italy. So I knew what margins I could work to. But the thing was that really struck me was the fact that they 
had lost contact because our business hadn't bothered to speak to them. And they would have been a bit confused about it. And of course, they're not going to go chasing us for business. They've got plenty of suppliers that want to give them product. And so it just disappeared, disintegrated. So I went back to my office, this order, absolutely chuffed. I thought I was going to be made head salesperson as my first ever sale. I'd, all I'd done was really just strike up a relationship with those people, rekindle a relationship that had broken down. Very apologetic for it, but promising that we would actually do better in future. When I came into the office with this order, I was marched straight into the CEO's office and everyone in the room, including me, got a telling off because what they said was Carl should not have been able to do this. This should not have been a situation that was possible. Of course, I was given the third degree. How did you do it? What did you say? You must have sold at a loss. What did you do? Actually, I'd made a few percentage points extra profit on what I'd sold because I knew what margins were. I was responsible for buying. I was responsible for the shipping, the insurance, the whole things, landing at the docks, all the custom stuff. I knew all the numbers. So I wasn't going to undersell anything, but I had to make the deal attractive. So attractive enough for me to put in a, a large order like that. But the point was that business was more concerned with the fact that it should not have happened than the fact that I'd actually made the sale. I thought this was my day, my moment of glory, when in actual fact it highlighted a big hole, such a, a hole that the head salesperson nearly lost their job over it. And don't forget, I had another five customers that I was yet to speak to. This was like the first oh, one. Oh, 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 oh. So that was something that always struck me as it stuck with me because it was a great experience for me at the time, although it was maybe a little bit unpleasant from the, the outcome of it. But it struck me that it wasn't hard. I had no real sales experience. I was just really doing it to see if I wanted to move into another department within the business. And yes, it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have been possible that that could happen. As a result of that, the company went through their whole Rolodex and they took out every single car when they started calling every single customer. But that's my first experience of Winback. And I, for me, it's the relationships with the customer that really stuck out. How did we lose those relationships? But more importantly, it was much easier to regain those business, rekindle that business than it would have been to go from getting new customers from scratch. How does your business work? Is it like ongoing business or are they one-off deals? They were, the business was ongoing. So all of those containers we had to forward, we'd buy, we'd forward order and the buy currency up front and all kinds of stuff. So we were constantly, it was a constant thing. Because it was, it's 24, 7, 3, 6, 5 product, all of the outlets are constantly selling canned goods all, all year round. So it was ongoing. And there, there wasn't, I don't know the history of why the business stopped. And even the supplier wasn't really sure. Uh, sorry, the wholesaler that we sold to wasn't really sure. But that was really the outcome. That is so interesting. So you got in trouble for doing this. And the CEO wasn't happy? Yes. We, I was... Hauled into the room with my boss, who was the head of buying, because I was a buyer, food buyer. So I was in his view, moonlighting. I shouldn't have been doing the sales when I'm supposed to be a buyer, but I was doing that because I wanted to move into another part of the business. The head of sales, the person who got the roller decks out and gave me these six customer cards to go and talk to, it was really just to shut me up because I've been moaning about this for some time. Please let me have a go. I just want to try. And so yeah, he was thinking, oh, I'll do him a favor. And he realized it's not that easy. And that was it. And the CEO was in there as well. It was a small, small business, quite an old fashioned business. Even in those times, this was back in the eighties. But if you walked into the room, it was like walking into a, an office with Clark Kent 
back in the 1950s, very much. It was literally 30 years older than it should have been. But yeah, so yeah, everyone really got a ticking off in the room, including me. Um, but then they had to go and deal with the order and start, I had to start buying the product from the suppliers to make sure we could fulfill it because that was my day job. So they did go through all these dormant accounts afterwards. Do you have any idea how successful that was or? Not really, because it was soon after that I moved into IT. I was really trying to find my sheet. What do I want to do? Is it sales? Is it buying? IT is really where I started the career that I, I has now morphed into what it is now. So I don't really know where that went. At least your company turned around. They saw the value in it afterwards. They should have been hauling you up on their shoulders saying, Carl discovered this great new source of business. Why do you think this is? Why do you think people don't do win back? Because well, most companies don't do win back. You're right. They don't. So quite recently I was working with a SaaS company, pretty much a household name within the B2B market. And I was brought in to evaluate the ongoing agile implementation, which was, it was going quite poorly. And as a result, I, what I, one of the things I had to do was I needed to talk to all the heads of the department and understand what they did, try and get a feel for the value stream and see where things were going wrong, understand where the bottlenecks were. And one of the things that I noticed, there was a lot of churn. I looked at the numbers, a lot of churn. And I said, who's focusing on this? Because. You're losing so many customers. You're, you're, it's almost you're trying to bail out the ship, but you've got a big hole in the bottom of it and you need to plug that first because that's where they're all going. Yet all the money is costing you to acquire these customers and so many of them are leaving so quickly. And it was almost like, it's almost like I've used bad language. They just, it wasn't that they just didn't want to hear. It was almost like they said, well, just give them time to finish what you said and then let's get back to business. It's only about customer acquisition. We're not interested in customer retention and we're definitely not going to go down a path of any kind of win back. And I tell you, I just couldn't understand it. It, it. You could just see the money dripping. They'd spent the money to acquire these customers. They were happy to lose them and they were concerned about winning them back. And to me, I was just walked in. I thought, surely someone's working on that. That's why I'd asked the question, who's dealing with this? Oh, I thought maybe I'll talk to them and see how it's going. It wasn't going at all because it wasn't even on their, on, on their list of things to do. I struggle to understand why that is, because it just seems to me like absolute no-brainer. You just do it. You spend the money already, you've got the investment, and often when people come back to you, they're even more loyal than they were before. For whatever reasons, we can look at maybe some of the psychology that might be involved with that. But it's the same with Agile. When we're working, a lot of Agile transformations fail. They start off with a good intent, but they usually fail for the same reasons. It's usually because somewhere along the chain, often at the top of the business, the culture hasn't evolved or adapted or have the appetite to adapt to be able to embrace agile and utilize the ability to deliver value soon to, to the customer. So something along the line is blocked. And when, when customers have gone through this process, they lose faith and they say, oh, agile doesn't work. We've tried that, been down that road. And they haven't actually, because they haven't actually gone the full hog. If you're going to make a recipe, you follow a recipe to make a loaf of bread and you don't put all the right ingredients in or you change it before you've even got halfway through, you're not going to get a loaf of bread out the door. And they say, oh, we right. tried the bread. We didn't try the bread because you didn't make the bread. You've got to follow the recipe. So a lot of businesses fail for that reason, but often I'll go into businesses that are, have gone through that failure and they're wanting to try again. But they're making the same mistakes. They're not 
want the outcome, but for whatever reason, they, they want to carry on. No, we're not going to do what the agile people say we should do. We're going to think this way. And it's very difficult to get them to follow that, understand why they need to do that. And I see a lot of synergy in trying to get people to understand, well, you need to be doing the win back. You need to be focusing on retaining those customers so you don't have to do the win back. But whatever it is you're doing wrong, fix that so that you can keep them. But they don't. They do oh, customer acquisition, customer acquisition. And they're always looking at their customer acquisition to lifetime value figures. And that's the only metric that matters. I haven't actually figured out why, but I can see the same behaviors in the way businesses approach agile. So tell me more about that. Every organization wants to get more for less. That's really it. I think in the real world, they just want to get more of what they've been promised. And often when consultancies come in and they say, oh, you need to do agile and this is going to give you this, they give you that. A lot of promises are made, but then the actual following the recipe of making it happen doesn't happen. So the promises are broken. The thing that has been promised doesn't end up getting delivered. And it's the same old repeat, rich repeat. And I'm looking at ways of breaking that. But I have a, an approach that I take called delivery with agility. It's something that we've developed within Agilistics. And we try this on lots of teams. In one organization, we work with over 150 teams implementing this and it works incredibly well, but it's about breaking that cycle of we're going to follow the recipe, but we're not going to follow the recipe. We're going to do it, but we're going to change it. So is that a mindset thing? Is that what, what causes that? Like, how do you turn that around? So somebody doesn't want to do agile properly. Somebody doesn't want to do win back, even though they're both no brainers. We talked before about a fixed mindset and is that what it is? Is it as simple as that? Well, I, I think fixed mindset, yes, but I, at the end of the day, it comes down to certainly with the agile implementation, it comes down to culture, the corporate culture within the business. So there's a great book written by Emma Hale about culture change. And she says, culture is defined as the way we do things around here. So you can walk into reception and you might have the five values on the wall, the corporate principles that they follow every day, or at least they're supposed to follow every day, but they don't follow them every day. So it might be that the values are publicized, say one thing, but actually on the shop floor where things are actually happening in the office, where the business is being done, it's a very different culture. And it, you've got to find out what that culture is, because that's what's actually driving the business, not those five that on the wall by reception. They're the things that the business actually operates by. And with Agile, we're finding the, the culture within the business. And that, that really does start at the top, but it's obviously implemented right through to the bottom of the chain. That culture is what needs to change. And the people don't have an appetite to change that culture. Because the culture that they work within has given them job security. So then it's grown the business to where it is. Up until then, why should we change it? What are you going to do this different? Do you think that if that company's industry is, is in recession or going into recession or they're experiencing less demand, do you think that's enough of a push for them to change their thinking? Or do you think that this is something that's very ingrained? It's hard for most companies to change. I think it's hard for most companies to change and they will probably stick with it until they go down. Like the Titanic, the band will keep playing sure. until the ship's gone down. And that is a shame. And we've seen that. We've seen lots of businesses lose out to other more innovative businesses. When you look at Blockbuster, Netflix, those kinds of things, 
You think well, they could have easily stop that. They couldn't block that straight away just by adapting the way they think. Well, they couldn't. They couldn't change their operations because culture was in, within their business. Was like we rent DVDs or cassette tapes, whatever it was at the time. That's what we do. That's how we make our money. We don't do what those guys are doing down there. Very different. Sure. Yeah. Why? Like you said, why mess with what works? If it yeah. ain't fixed, yeah. it ain't broken, don't fix it. You said something interesting. When you said that marketing is the same as behavioral science. Can you speak to that? There is an absolutely amazing book called Behavioral Science and Marketing by Nancy Holhunt. And she's, I saw her give a talk at the recent Guru conference of the email marketing conference. And it was absolutely riveting. The comments that were coming back from people that in the audience, in the chat, for it's a virtual conference. We couldn't take the notes fast enough because she was just filling the beans on how customers think, how people think, and how to actually influence. The big thing word there is influence their behaviors. And it's all based on behavioral science. And I kind of commented LinkedIn or, or, or on a post. I said, well, okay, it wasn't called behavioral science. It will be called the behavioral magic because it's like crazy that this stuff is really simple thing, really simple things. You think, no, that can't possibly work. But she actually presented it in such a way that she's got facts to back it up. Not just something she's come up with. This is proper science. And you guys are using it. Her book is written for marketing. And I said, that's unfair. Why should marketers have all the fun and all the luck? Because it absolutely applies to everything I do as well in the field of coaching. So for anybody that hasn't come across that book, Behavioral Science in Marketing by Nancy Holbach, really sums up those principles that we all live by and we are all influenced by. And that's where the, the behavioral science has really taken off for me. It's something that I've been looking at for the last couple of years. I've been reading lots of books on that kind of thing because it's having the power of influence. And I think if we want to move forward with bringing businesses into an understanding of the value of winback, or the understanding of the value that can be delivered through agile adoption, then we need to look at behavioral science and try and use those techniques to influence their thinking, which will ultimately change their mindset. And once their mindset changes, their behavior, their behaviors can change as well. That's fascinating. You said that people are more loyal when they come back. I know that from my customer win back benchmark study, that's what I found. Why are people more loyal the second time around after you win them back? I think there's a certain amount of familiarity with the brand that they re-engaged with and the services that are divided. It's like being welcomed back into the fold for them as customers. They know what to expect. What I see with people that have in a business that have gone through a failed agile transformation. And then we come in to bring them back into that whole process again. And we start to show them where they were failing and how to overcome those things. Suddenly they relate to us. Oh yeah, we remember we tried it this way and that didn't work. Or we were told by someone else that we should have done it that way. And we can see that this makes sense. It's when they've got something to compare with that there's perhaps there's a sense of, it's not really lost aversion because they've already lost something by by having been lost as a customer. But when you regain it, you've got something in which you can actually measure the service you're now getting to the one you perhaps got before or the one you might've got from someone else, another way of trying to approach the same thing. So I think it's the, the mind subconsciously makes that comparison and you say, this is better. 
for it. Because I think when you go to a win back, the people that are the customers sense that they're being looked after in a more active way than they were before. And the business needs to make sure that that's happening. Otherwise, you wouldn't win them back in the first place. You definitely won't keep them. So I think everyone's on the best behavior. And that's probably why you get a deeper sense of engagement or why they spend more money and they commit more. I see people that have gone through failed transformations make a new commitment once they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And they can see, well, actually, this is working. This is going in directions it wasn't going before. The naysayers start to become the supporters. Often what I find is that the people who shout the loudest against what we're trying to help them understand and embrace end up being the ones that become evangelical about it, helping others at the end, but only once they've seen the delivery. And so when you win, when people go to win back, there is a sense of delivery of service. All of that relationship building happens. And I think that's possibly why they feel safer and more incentivized. A sense of reciprocity, reciprocity perhaps. Well, they've done something for us, or we're going to buy more from them. There's all those kinds of reasons that un- underlie the decisions that they're making. Sometimes it, with a relationship, the relationship can be strengthened through some kind of breakup or some kind of disagreement. When you get back together, you make up and you put, you, you, you may have said things or done things that you shouldn't have done, but you all come back together and you start to try and rebuild that relationship. Sometimes those relationships can be stronger because of that. We say in the agile world that we learn through every failure is, a, is an opportunity to learn and improve. There's the Kaizen thread going through everything that we do. Continuous improvement. We're having to improve something if perhaps it didn't work so well, that you're looking for those things. So how can we make it better? So I think to a certain extent, when you've gone through that and everyone's been open and honest and said, look, we, did, we didn't call after you. This didn't happen the way it should have done. But we are actually, these aren't words. I think the important thing is that these are not words. These have to be actions that are measurable. Something that the, the customer can actually see is happening. Then you can actually build a much stronger relationship than you had before, especially if the customer's gone somewhere else. We, in fact, I had a meeting today. One of the things that my company does, apart from the agile coaching and training, we actually also work in the technical field. We support SharePoint infrastructures and M365 and stuff like that. And we were looking at a scenario where a customer had gone to someone else to get something delivered and we missed out on it. And we missed out on it because I think things had changed within a business. There was, there was different leadership that came on and they wanted to bring their favorite people in to do the job. They didn't know who we were, so they thought, oh, we're just going to bring the people we always use. But we were reviewing this today. And I was speechless. I was lost for words because I could not believe what had actually been delivered that we missed out on. It would have been something that I would have lost sleep over if we delivered it ourselves. And the customer's been very reluctant to discuss it openly, but because of the work we're doing, I can't really go into too much depth on that. We, we've had sight of it. And now we can, we have an opportunity to go back and help them to understand that we can actually deliver something that they've actually gone through that process with someone else who they used before, but it actually does, doesn't do what it says on the tip. Let us have a go. Let us see if we can do that with it. And within the other work we're doing, I'm actively on a mission to try and win that customer over with regard to this other piece of work, this other product that I know that we can deliver to a much higher standard in a short, short time. 
but we've got to, we've got to make way to have those discussions. So people, for whatever reason, it might, you might lose a couple of them for no fault of your own. It could be that you've really done everything you can to look after that customer, but the change of senior leadership can mean the suppliers change as well. And this happens. Why does it happen? Because people buy from people. They don't buy from companies. And I've always maintained this. If you've got a relationship with someone, you're always going to try and bring that person's company and product into your way of working because you've experienced it and you can trust it. You've seen the results before. You don't know who these strangers are. And particularly at high level management, you don't want to take any risks. You just want to put in the one that can actually do the job, get it done. So you bring your own people. That means someone loses out. Someone's now in a situation where they have to think about win back. And the only chance they've got is if the people that have been brought in by the new income leader failed in some way. And they, that is made apparent to them. They might have a way of actually having that discussion. So win back isn't always because you've done something wrong as a supplier. It's just the fact that people buy from people and people prefer to buy from people they've already bought from and they know and they trust. We've covered a lot of ground here. Are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? I think there is tremendous synergy with what happens in marketing and also in the coaching field, particularly in the, the agile coaching field. It's absolutely fascinating. I see that all the time. I've made friends with people like yourself and others, people that we, I would never have met if I hadn't shown an interest, put time and effort into it, trying to understand how this can help me. What I'm learning from the marketing field is definitely helping me in my everyday work. And I'm applying those techniques to everything other than marketing right now in my coaching. I'm also going to do the right thing and apply it to my marketing. Oh, I've got some things in place to try and do that. But what I'd say is if people are in a position where they're in a company where they're finding that their agile teams are failing to deliver, that's where I can help. It doesn't need to be this way. And there is a better way of doing it. And I can absolutely help with that. So if people would like to get a hold of you and get that help, where would they go? So I'm easily found. Just Google me, Carl Adamson. You'll find me on LinkedIn. The company is Agonistics. And we have a newsletter, which is currently available free of charge through LinkedIn. You just need to go into LinkedIn and subscribe. It's called Delivery with Agility. It's also our tagline for our company. It's what we believe in. And we don't say agility for delivery. First word is delivery. Delivery is the most important thing in everything we do with marketing, with agile implementations. So we start there and then we work on the human side of it to make it happen, make it real. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. Be glad to, to hear from you. Come to our website, Agilistics Academy, where we do a lot of training for this and helping people to learn. And if you're interested in doing some training on a, on a luxury yacht on the River Thames in the center of London, right next to Tower Bridge, go to our website, kaizenvoyage.com, and you'll find some great learning that you can take with us there. Thanks so much, Carl. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure.